0: Thank you. Today is a little bit crazy because we're trying all these new things and uh, we're trying this drive-in church thing and seats outside and uh, trying to get some awesome pictures for the website. And so there's a lot going on in my mind right now. So um, thank you for being here and being patient with me. But I'm glad to be with you. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Alpine Church in Brigham City. And uh, I get to share with you the last message in our series on the book of Revelation called Jesus Unveiled. I am very excited about that. And as we get into this series or this last lesson, we're going to see that the last two chapters of the book of Revelation are quite different from everything that we've read so far. If you're new here today, same thing. Uh, you, this will apply to you even if you haven't been coming for the past couple of weeks But I am excited to get into it. Before we do, though, I just wanted to say one thing. I love weddings. Um, I have been able to do a handful of weddings in in my career, in my day, and I just love everything that they represent. They're just so beautiful. I think back to my own wedding as uh, my beautiful wife coming through those double doors, walking down the aisle in her white dress, uh, that is a moment in time where even the strongest man I've seen will burst into tears. And I, you guys know who you are if you're married, a man who thinks he's strong out there. Um, you remember that day. Um, uh, just the beautiful bride coming down the aisle and it's saying, man, this is for real. This commitment, this thing, all this talk out of my mouth uh, is now... now culminating to this day where the commitment is finally going to be sealed, okay? Um, and there's so much other things that are fun about weddings, right? The friends, the family, the activities, and our our wedding was all centered around God and, and Jesus and all that he'd done for us, and so we had people reading Bible verses, and we talked about all the different verses that how God had set up marriage and, um, I don't know how they do weddings during the COVID. Has anybody been to a wedding since this whole thing has happened? You have? It's probably not as fun, I would imagine, right? But uh, anyways, in the book of Revelation, these last two chapters, and even all throughout the Bible, but it uses this language of marriage, of, of a wedding, of a wedding feast. And, and so we're going to, if you want to pull out your Bibles, your Bible apps, go grab a free Bible from the welcome table. We're going to be in the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And I want to make, I've got five points I'm going to pull out of it. And my first one is this, that the church is like Jesus's bride. We're invited into an intimate relationship with him. Okay, so as we read, uh, maybe you've heard this before, the, church is, the Christian church is the bride of Christ, okay, and, and we're going to see this imagery and this, this metaphorical language talking about weddings and, and our relationship with God and how that all works, um, and we'll get into Revelation chapter 1, I'll read it with you in verses 1 and 2. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Okay, so you you get that language right out of those first verses that there's a the new heaven, okay? So what does that mean, right? Now, if you haven't been with us, or if you have, uh, the book of Revelation is all about the last things, the last times, the end uh, of the world, and a new, a changing of everything. And we've been talking about how uh, God is, 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 all this is culminating to a final judgment, okay? And that that God has uh, the, the world has been broken with sin, and we've all gone away from God, and God has been waiting patiently as the church does its work out there in the world to share the truth about Jesus to everyone before he actually comes back, and He ends all this and makes everything new okay, and so we've gotten all past you know the the different the war that's supposed to happen at the end of the world and and the different uh, liars and the 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 city and in the world economy that sets itself up against God. And so now in these last two chapters, we're talking about this final consummation of our relationship with God. And all Christians kind of look forward to this day. And But a lot of us question, what is it really going to be like? What is heaven going to be like? And so uh, we we find that out in these last two chapters of Revelation. And you see that idea of the bride coming out of heaven. He's using this metaphor of a beautiful bride. Heaven is coming down to rest on earth one day. And so we always think about heaven and hell and earth as these these separate realms, right? You've got this spiritual realm of heaven where the good people go, hell's where, you know, the bad people go, uh, and earth is where we're all stuck, okay? But uh, in the end of Revelation, we're going to see that it's all going to be combined together uh, once and for all. Like the, the way things are now are going to be changed. And that's what it says. I saw a new heaven coming down and it's going to be put on a new earth and we'll all be together. And it just has that that imagery of a beautiful bride coming down the aisle, the, the final consummation of our relationship with God. We also see some of this very same, same language back in chapter 19, it says, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. So it's talking about this end of times, final uh, bringing together of God and people. God will finally be with His people, not just spiritually, not just in the sense where we we can't really see Him or feel Him tangibly, but we have faith that He's there. No, He's going to be right in front of us. We're going to dwell with him, and as we went through those verses, it says that his bride is being prepared, and that is us. His church is being prepared, and, and so I want to say this, that oftentimes people don't quite get the illustration of why God even gave us marriage in the first place, but I would tell you from a biblical perspective, God gave us marriage so that we could understand how he feels about us and how he loves us. And I know this is probably hard for some of the the males in the room, right? Like, I have to be the bride of Christ. I'm I'm, I'm assuming some kind of uh, different gender role. That's not the case, okay? That's not the case. But in a sense, metaphorically, we are, he is the husband, he is the man, he is the ruler, and we submit to him. And so therefore we are, as the church, men and women, this beautiful bride that is being prepared for Christ. And so even in some of the most famous chapters of the Bible talking about marriage, it's really talking about Christ and the church. If we go to Ephesians chapter 5, it says, for husbands, this must, means you must love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean. And so while I use this verse many times in marital counseling, husbands, you're supposed to be like Jesus to give your life up for her to make her holy and clean. Now, that's a hard charge, first of all, to the, the men. I mean, I know that's a hard thing to live up to, to be like Christ to our wives and to die, to make her holy and clean. But that's really what Jesus did for his church. He came and he died for her and made her holy and clean. Now, what does that mean to make her holy and clean? Well, if you understand the gospel, we don't, by our own works and our own merit, make ourselves clean and holy. We don't come to church enough, we don't uh, give enough money, we don't uh, do all the things that we're supposed to do to become worthy. No, Jesus Christ died covering our sins, forgiving us, and then at the cross, when he died on the cross, it says he died for our sins and he became sin in our place so that we could have his Righteousness. So, not only did he forgive us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, by faith in him alone, but he exchanged his perfection with us. God is the only person that is righteous, really, in the world and holy. Uh, If anybody ever claims to be that outside of, of what God has done for them, then they are speaking falsely. But God is the only truly and holy one. And so, Jesus, being God in the flesh, dying for us, gives us his righteousness, now we're made holy and clean. And so that's what it means. And so as we go through these two chapters, I want to use this illustration a little bit of, of marriage, of how God is going to do this, how he's going to consummate the marriage, how he's going to make us clean. And one of those ways is that Jesus will forever remove every aspect of our broken past. Now, a little story I want to tell you. Uh, if you wondered what this thing is, right here taped on the front of the pulpit here, this is actually a golf scorecard. And uh, if you didn't know, there was a tournament that we had uh, last week, last Sunday, and Brigham City team actually won the tournament. Isn't that crazy? Come on. It's never happened before in history. Last year, we were last place, okay? We got a we got some kind of we got a gift certificate for for being in last place. There was a prize for doing the worst. Okay? And now we've gotten out of I don't know like 20 teams we somehow got first place. It's crazy. Now, we have a couple of good golfers that God sent to us. I think that was for that very reason, you know, God was like, "Look, I am going to show you how powerful I am. And I'm going to send you some guys." And so he did, but but the, the, the idea I want you to get out of this story is not just me bragging on Brigham City campus for our golf, but, but really is that we were last and now we're first. That's like the story of the whole Bible if you go read it. God takes the outcast, the broken, the people who you wouldn't think would be the holy people, like myself included, and he takes them from their brokenness and their shame, and he wipes all that away, and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a place of honor. I am going to make you new. I am going to clean you up, and I am going to make you powerful and good. And so that is, that is a, a wonderful example. Another example is in my own life. Um, you know, I, I was just having a conversation earlier. I never thought I would be a pastor or a preacher or a leader of a church. When I was a teenager, some of you guys teenagers out there, uh, early 20s I was I was kind of crazy my mom's here she'd probably start shaking her head and say amen but uh I uh I struggled I struggled with addiction okay and so I was a jerk I was a loser sometimes I hurt many people okay and it it pains me to even think back to my past but the crazy thing is is where God has me today, now I get to help people and and share that story and share that message. Again, that is the message of the Bible. It's not we come and try to clean ourselves up and make us holy and present ourselves to God and then say, okay, will you take me now? Will you accept me? No, Jesus came and he died and he did all the work so that we would be accepted. And we just have to believe and trust in that. Here's an image I want to read as we get further in the chapter of, of, of 21 in Revelation. Just talking about how he's going to change everything. The pain from our past will be wiped away and everything will be made new. Here's what it says in Revelation 21, 3-5. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Over and over you've heard that saying before, trustworthy and true, faithful and true. Write this down. These are important words. Uh, the the first and the last chapter of Revelation tell us if we hear or read these words, we will be blessed because of it. And it's because I believe how much faith it is going to give us and hope that it's going to give us that the things that we struggle with now, you know, the things that we um, do to hurt people, the things that we can't control sometimes, our addictions, these things that I don't want to do this, but I can't seem to stop right? I don't want to be this way. I don't want to treat my family this way, but I can't seem to fully control myself. And, and I'm sick of seeing people get sick and I'm sick of family members and people dying. They always say, you just have to accept death as a part of reality, right? No, no, I don't think we should have to. And as Christians, our hope is that one day death will be no more. There will be no more sor- sorrow or crying or pain or sickness. We don't have to accept that that's just part of life. We can know that one day it'll be all wiped away. At least that's what gives me hope. And as we talk about, uh, you know, being with God and him making everything new, and, and, and that isn't even the most important thing that I want to pull out of these verses. If I go back, the most important thing though is this. Look, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Isn't that, doesn't, I don't know if it blows your mind, but it really does me because this God that I've been trying to get to know for, uh, you know, decades now, I've always struggled with, with faith and wondering, does he listen to me? Does he hear me? And is he pleased with me? And God, I wish I could just see your face and experience your power. And I pray for miracles and sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't. But in heaven, one day, when God makes everything new, he will be right there in front of all of our faces. We will get to ask him these questions that we had. He will be there to love on us and to show us we won't have any doubt anymore. And that is the wonderful thing of being in the presence of God. Although we can experience it now in a finite way, we'll experience it wholly when we're with him. One day, And the other great thing about this new city, this new Jerusalem, heaven on earth that is coming is that nothing will ever come between us and Jesus ever again. Now, if you're, if you're married or if you're dating or if you have, uh, you know, certain strong friendships, you know that there are many things that can cause issues. You know, you hurt each other. Uh, there's a wedge that is driven uh, sometimes in a relationship where someone gets offended, somebody's feelings get hurt, and then you decide that, uh, you know, I, I can't be around this person or I can't be with them. But let me tell you, that's the same thing that everybody in the world has done to God is that they've all offended him and gone against him and blasphemed him and cursed him and not trusted him. And so that created this wedge in a relationship with God. In, our, in my own marriage, it's funny, my wife and I, because we've you know, done a lot of marriage counseling and we understand this theological concept, uh, I've, I've asked her, I said, please, honey, just tell me when there's a wedge. You know, I'm just like, because I can't read your mind and the silent treatment doesn't always work the best. And I say, just tell me. And so just the other day, I'm out in myself right now I said, honey, what's going on? And she says, there's a wedge. (laughs) She says, there's a wedge. And I said, all right, let's talk about this. Let's move this out of of our way so that we can get on to our relationship. Well, that's the same thing with our relationship with God, as we've all had this wedge come in between it. And if we don't do something about it, uh, we won't have that anymore. We won't have that relationship with him. We won't have that closeness that we want, that intimate relationship that happens when you pull that wedge out of the relationship. And here's an interesting thing. As we go on in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 21, we go to verses 22 through 27. It's going to tell us about how it will be when we are dwelling with God. And here's what it says. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need of a sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So as I talk about this thing that was between us and God, well, let me tell you about the Old Testament. You've all heard about the idea of a temple, right? Uh, it's crazy if you think about it, like the, the, how we, how how our culture and, and how the world like sets up all these different temples to different gods and this and that and the other. There isn't gonna be a temple in heaven. It just said that, okay? But there did used to be a need for a temple and God made that aware and that was in the Old Testament. And the reason for that temple was because we were we were living in this sinful world and so we needed to have a way to contact God. We had a wedge in between our relationship and we needed a way, he provides the way. Does that sound like the New Testament gospel also? That he provides the way because of the wedge in the relationship. And what it was was that his presence would dwell in these temples, and in these temples you would perform sacrifices and ceremonies and rituals to make yourself clean to be you would do these things and follow these rules so that uh, you could be made right with God. but ultimately the, the major thing that took away sins back in the temple days was the slaughtering of a spotless lamb, and when you would kill that lamb, it would take away your sins for uh, a, a certain amount of time. And so that was the need for these temples. God's presence dwelled in this holy place. It was like a confined space where God could dwell. He couldn't, if he was exposed himself to everyone, people would just be burned up because of his glory and his holiness and his righteousness. People could not be in God's presence in his fullness because of this wedge that we have in God's justice and judgment. He hates sin, and so something has to be done about it. And so that's this idea of atonement. You've heard that word before. Well, that's not actually a, uh, a real word uh, that or used to not be a real word. And what it actually means is if you break the word up, it's at-one-ment. And so when a lamb died for the sins of a person, they slaughtered it and they they did that sacrifice for those sins, you were now at one with God. When there's a wedge in the relationship, you're not at one with God. But when the sacrifice happened, you are at one with God. That's what atonement means, at-one-ment, okay? And this is, again, uh, all pointing to what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He was the final sacrifice for our sins. And so right now, by faith, we don't have to have that wedge in between us anymore. But we still don't have that full, intimate experience that we get to experience in heaven with God. And that's what Revelation is trying to point us to, is to understand that this is something that you've never experienced before. While Jesus did bring heaven on earth and he now resides in our hearts as we believe and trust in him, we can have heaven on earth now. We can. But I don't know, I know it does not compare to what we're reading about in Revelation at the end of time. And I long for those days. And so you'll see this language as you read the last two chapters the apostle that writes it and the people that pray, they say this, there's a saying, come Lord Jesus, come. Come, come Lord Jesus. Now that's a, that's a tough prayer to pray because if we're all honest, do we really want him to come? Or do we love our little little utopia that we're trying to create here on earth right now? I would venture to say that I could probably get most of you to believe that your life right now is not heaven on earth. <laughs> uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know that you're longing for something more and something better, but oftentimes our sight is too low. We're thinking down the road here, you know, down there, and we're not looking up there beyond. We're not putting our sights and our goals up higher. We're, we're looking very linear, but God is saying that there is something coming that is going to be way better than what you're experiencing now, and that's why I love these, these chapters uh, of the this last book in the Bible. And one thing, another thing that heaven is going to be like as he makes everything new, is that he's gonna set everything right that had gone wrong in the world. Now, when we read these two chapters, you'll see a little bit of a similarity to the first two chapters of the first book in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. and the last book of the Bible, Revelations, last two chapters, uh, you're going to see some similarities. Let's just go ahead and read these in verses 1 through 5. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, so this is using, again, this language that Jesus and God is going to be with us. There isn't going to be a sun. It talked about there wasn't even going to be water earlier. Like, so the face of the world is going to be changed as we know it. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people believe that there isn't going to be... It doesn't mean there isn't going to be any water. It just means there isn't going to be sea like the oceans cover 70% of the world right now. It's going to be different. And that there's no need for a sun because the light of God is going to be shining. And that that verse that talks about um, his name will be written on their foreheads. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the mark of the beast and how in the end times there will be the evil uh, opposition set up against God led by Satan that would have this mark of the beast written on their hand and on their forehead. And this is saying, no, my people are going to be marked out with something written on their forehead. And this is in heaven, by the way, not on earth. And so don't go getting your face tattooed just yet on your forehead with, you know, a Bible verse or whatever. I'm not going to judge you if you do, but um, this is the opposite of that that idea of the mark of the beast that was trying to happen here on earth. Um, But we see that he's going to make everything new. I don't know if you remember the first two chapters of uh, the book of Genesis, but it talks about in there, there was a river and the tree of life. And so what I'm trying to help you understand is that when God first created the world, before sin entered the world, because Adam and Eve listened to Satan and did the thing that God told them not to do, did not believe in God and his commandment, Uh, God had created the world. He dwelled with them. It said he walked in the garden with man and woman. But then sin entered the world and broke everything. And there's been a curse on the world. It said this curse is going to be removed, by the way, in this new city. But God is building upon his first creation. And so we can't necessarily even understand the end times without going back to creation. We can't understand heaven without understanding God's first creation. Purpose in the world. I've got this uh, this page right out of my study Bible. I know you probably can't see a lot of it, but uh, I wonder if there's a laser on this thing. That would be super cool. Yeah, there you go. That's awesome. I've always wanted to use a laser while I was teaching. So this is right out of my study Bible in the ESV Study Bible. But as you can see, in creation, in Genesis chapter one and two he made the heavens and the earth. He made the day and the night. There was a tree of life and a river of life. Now, if we fast forward to the new creation, new heaven, new earth made. Uh, No need for those lights that were made at first because God will be that light. And there is a tree of life and a river of life. God is building upon the very thing he started, however many thousands of years ago, you want to believe that happened. I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but God is building upon what he first started. And then if you go in between all of this, the fall happened, right? That's where everything was changed. That's the third chapter of Genesis. Come over here and Satan uh, deceived Adam and Eve and he caused them to sin. Death entered the world. Everything was cursed. You know, uh, work was going to be made hard now. Sin and judgment are all a part of now this now they right here. What happens after this is God makes a way with his people and he says, I'm going to set you guys apart and there's going to be a temporary way for you to know me and to have your sins forgiven. He ultimately fulfills that plan in Christ. That's why Christ is at the center of everything because Christ and his cross ultimately fulfills the plan of sin and death being taken away. But then after that is in the time period which we are in, where the church now is experiencing the grace and the love and the, the heaven on earth, if you will, in a spiritual sense, being with Jesus and having our sins forgiven. And uh, we get to experience God in a great way right now. But eventually, all the things that happen because of the sin in the fall will now finally be judged. And, and look what chapter this is. It's the third from the last chapter. The third from the last chapter and the last two chapters. You've got the first two chapters, the third chapter. I just thought that was crazy when I was studying for this because what I know about the Bible is that it was written over a time span of 1,500 years. Okay, Some of it was written in uh, Hebrew, and then the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And, and so it wasn't just this one compiled book that only one author wrote, but there is 40 different authors to each of these books in the Bible, but in and, and, and a different time period and how it actually lines up with the first two chapters explaining creation and the last two chapters explaining recreation just amazed me. Let me read this thing at the bottom. It says, God's ultimate purpose in redemptive history is to create a people to dwell in his presence, glorifying him through numerous varied activities and enjoying him forever. The story begins with God in eternal glory and it ends with God and his people in eternal glory. At the center stands the cross where God revealed his glory through his son. So I hope this helps you understand uh, a little bit of these last chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation, how God is restoring all things. When you hear of redemption or the redemptive plan of God, it all began after the first fall after creation. He's restoring, he's redeeming man, he wants, he's created people to be glorified with him and be in his presence and enjoy him forever. My last point is that everyone is invited to know Jesus this way. Now, the sad thing is that not everybody accepts to know Jesus this way. Not everybody wants to know Jesus this way. But here is some of the last verses in the book of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink, come freely from the water of life. Anybody who hears, the Bible has this, uh, Jesus says this over and over again in the New Testament, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. Do you have ears to hear today? It's not saying that everyone is going to heaven because it's not, and the book of Revelation has been clear about that, but it is saying, examine yourself to see if you do have these ears to hear, to even care what God is trying to do in your life, and you know what? Sadly, there are people in this room that will not care about this invitation, There are many people out there in the world who will not care about this invitation to come to know Jesus, to drink freely from the waters, the healing waters of life that Jesus offers. And if I go back to that promise that we read earlier about this idea that only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be with him in this new city in heaven. There won't be anything evil to be able to come into it. Why? Because evil will finally be defeated and separated. The Bible talks about it'll be thrown into the lake of fire where everyone who decided to choose to not follow Christ, not to believe, to accept the free gift, to understand the purpose in your life isn't making yourself your own God on your own throne, but glorifying God and putting him in his proper place on the throne in your life. Jesus, again, he said, many are called, but few are chosen. How can you know that you're chosen? Well, it's if you have those ears to hear today, and you understand that you want this. You want to be forgiven. You're sick of the pain and the sorrow of this world. One day you want to see him face to face. One day you want everything to be restored. You want his plan to play out. If that's you here today, I would implore you, if you haven't already trusted in Jesus, Make that decision today to do that. If you're not sure, please come talk with me or one of our leaders or pastors or our small group leaders up front. Please, we would love to pray with you and to just talk with you. How do I accept Jesus? It's not some special, weird, ritualistic thing that you have to do. It simply says, believe and trust. Believe and trust what Jesus has done. If you're here today and you have done that, if you've trusted in Jesus... I would would hope that this gives you hope and, 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 and it fights your fear about the things that may be to come in the future, about how the world's getting a little bit crazy. I hope it helps you to see, you know what? I've got something amazing to look forward to. And I hope that compels you to want to go out there and invite people. And there are some thirsty people out there. We need to take this to them. I would ask that you would join us here at the local church or the global church, or wherever, as long as they're a Bible-believing Christian church that believes in faith alone by Jesus Christ on the cross forgiving our sins, get involved with spreading this news. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful picture of what we have to hope in and to hope for. One day when we won't have to deal with the sin and the brokenness of this world and all the pain that comes along with that, I know many of us sit here and we can think of the things that we do not like about this place. And if we're humble enough, we can sit there and think about the the things that we actually don't like about ourselves that we just can't control. We want to get rid of and we can't seem to get past it, whether it's Uh, because of sickness and aging or uh, addiction or mental disabilities or whatever it is, Lord, these things that frustrate this world. We know one day everything's going to be made right. There will be a judgment on those who are evil. But Lord, help us to be humble enough to know that we once were those people. We still are in some ways. So we ask for anyone who here who has trusted or hasn't trusted, that you would come into their hearts and their lives and, and that you would help them and help us believe that Jesus is enough. He is the sacrifice that made us right with you. And now we can have this hope of an eternal future to see your face. I just long for that day. I say, come Lord Jesus, come in Jesus' name, amen.